just thought it would be fun to like have the music playing as we're like building the whole thing. It doesn't matter. That's post production. Yeah. So welcome to Sequelitis. Welcome to Sequelitis. I'm Matt. I'm Manny. All right. So today we're gonna be tackling Ghostbusters two. I just watched this movie last night. Well, I mean, you've seen it before that plenty of times. Of course. You, you own at least two copies of the movie currently? Uh, I could only find one copy, so I think I may have given my other copy away. But over time, you've had multiple copies of the movie. Correct, Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> Ghostbusters 2, along with a previous movie that we discussed. Well, can, Ghostb- I, can I just say, because I have something to say here. Ghostbusters 2, they did the same thing with that one that they always do with Back to the Future, which is... They try to cram them all together as like a, a set because they know that the, only the first one is worth the shit. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It goes without saying, a lot of sequels, they wouldn't exist without the predecessor. And we're here to discuss movies that were a letdown compared to the original movie that started the whole thing. There are two bodies that really embody the spirit of sequelitis. That is Back to the Future 2 and 3 and Ghostbusters 2. Absolutely agree. And what it is about Ghostbusters 2... And I've been trying to find the right words for this, but it's not that it doesn't try, because it definitely does try, but it's like there, there's just a, a certain a failure on every level, uh, just a breakdown of so many of the basic elements, things that should have worked that don't work, things that you see how they came up with them, but they're still not good, like the pink slime is a great example. You know, it reminds us of like Slimer, the green slime, oh, kids love slime, they'll love pink slime. In the movie, it's kind of stupid. Like, the slime is so stupid. Well, essentially what they did is they were really concerned that if they strayed too far from the concept of the original film, something that audiences would reject, what they did instead was recreate very closely the plot and the storyline of the first movie. So you have something that isn't very original, and ultimately it's not as rewarding and as entertaining as the first film was. Like what you said, it's not because they didn't try, it is because they didn't risk anything. They weren't willing to take risks, they weren't willing to try something different. Right. They weren't willing to put the characters in a situation that might have brought something new, fresh, and original. And something that we were talking about earlier was the fact that the problem with a lot of these movies is that they start with original concept, original characters, an original premise, something that audiences hadn't really seen before. Yeah. And they do that with the first movie. And then the second movie comes along, and all of a sudden they're so afraid of losing that magic that the first movie created that they're not willing to do something fresh and original. Right. So I've got some fresh ideas for a two and a three, or we both have fresh ideas. Let me let me rephrase yeah, that. Yeah, spoiler alert, we are going to actually do a Ghostbusters 3 pitch. Yeah. Uh, so first, let me just give you the uh, the shotgun quick idea of like what's cool about our versions of two. And, and I'll, I'll throw in some of our ideas for three just because it's all kind of jumbled right now. But basically the idea is that I came across this idea when I was trying to stretch the characters apart a little bit more. And I started thinking about how Vankman, Bill Murray, he's like the skeptical one, like the dry comedy one. But then uh, Harold Ramis plays the more scientific one, and then Dan Aykroyd, I decided he's kind of more the supernatural one. In the movies, they do a bad job of painting it that way, but I think that's what they're going for. I think they're trying to say that Ray is more into paranormal and stuff. So the way my pitch goes is essentially the Ghostbusters need to defeat some sort of evil demon, and we don't we don't see all the build-up to it. We just kind of get thrown into the middle of it. And the way that he defeats them is he goes to this, let's say, old European country that he heard about in a book and meets a special like vendor that he heard about. So wait, back up. Who's he? Uh, Ray. Okay, Ray Stans, Dan uh, Aykroyd's character. Let's get the audio without you opening a fresh can. Okay. 
<laughs> We're leaving that in there. <laughs> so Race Dance is more into this spiritual paranormal. So the backstory for this pitch is events that occur before the events of the first movie. But where this movie picks up is immediately following the first movie. Where the Ghostbusters find themselves in a load of legal trouble. But at the same time, where we kind of differentiate, the Ghostbusters, it's not like their business has evaporated. It's that they are as popular as ever. They just saved New York City. And there's no way that people can sit there and deny who the Ghostbusters were, what role they played in saving the city. The Ghostbusters through the bureaucratic channels have been essentially handcuffed. They have this overflowing wealth of business, but they're not able to capitalize upon it because they have been banned by the city from using their equipment. And a lot of their equipment has been confiscated. But we start this off with a cold open that does reference the actions that lead into the plot of this movie. Essentially what happens is, let's say Ray reads about some old ancient book dealer that's supposed to be immortal and supposed to live forever and he goes to visit that person that person's still there still alive and he's like running some sort of little antique shop and Ray has to acquire this special jewel that can act as a containment unit for this super powerful ghost and maybe it's the vessel that that ghost escaped from in the first place and what he ends up doing is selling his soul to this demon or this evil entity in order to get the jewel that he needs. This is something that's revealed later on in the plot. The deal that he makes when he sells his soul, what happens is in the beginning, the very, very absolute beginning of the movie is you see Ray and he's out somewhere, he's having lunch or whatever, and he gets confronted by a figure that we don't really see, but we can tell by the look on Ray's face that it's he's absolutely terrified. Yeah. You know, essentially this entity tells him it's time to pay your end of the deal. You have so many days. Ray kind of talks his way out of it but in doing so he essentially dooms the other Ghostbusters and it kind of plays into this comedic moment where Ray is in this panic because he is terrified and we end up going back to that later on when it is revealed what the deal was that Ray made in order to get himself into this and then by extension get the other Ghostbusters into it but we have this whole cold open just like the original Ghostbusters 2 did where you kind of have this initial action and then you go yeah. right into the great Ghostbusters theme. But you see Ray and he basically flees from this entity. You get this sense of danger. You start the credits off, play the theme music, you go back, and that's when you get the whole thing where you get the backstory of what's happening. Yeah. You, you get caught up on what's going on with the Ghostbusters. Well, let's go over some of the just the big plot beats because I don't think we have everything mapped out, but just let's do the big events and then we'll kind of go back and color in some of the characterization. Right on. What I'm thinking is that he sells his soul. He gets the amulet or the special. He gets an artifact. He, needs. We'll, he gets the. We'll artifacts. just call it an artifact. Right, but I think of it as being like a jewel of some kind. I mean, it's definitely something that you can hold in one hand. Yeah, a rock. Like I'm picturing this. Like when we get toward the finale of the movie, it's something to where Egon he's able to do a little scan on it, and they're able to realize like they give a scientific explanation for how it works and what it's able right. to do, and that really plays into how the movie kind of concludes. But we'll get well, into it's that. It's able we get to there. behave as a container unit because of its like special crystalline structure it's able to do the same job that their containment unit does but as a crystal that's the, the idea that i'm thinking i of. mean i envision it as something that works as a key and then you had mentioned something that i really liked was because it's a key that opens up another dimension that what they do is they use one of their traps they throw it into the trap it opens up a key into that dimension and then that's what sucks everything it, into it i was thinking of it more like have you ever heard of the idea of like building a computer on like atoms or putting information into crystals 
And so I'm, I'm sort of combining the idea of storing like the data of what a soul might be. Well, I mean, you thing. haven't you haven't seen this yet on Rick and Morty. It's revealed that he's able to power his little spacecraft because he has created a microverse. No, that's one of my that favorite operates uh, as the battery. That's one of my okay. favorite episodes. So you so have far. seen that. I remember watching the real Ghostbusters cartoon series. One of my favorite aspects of it was anytime they would show Slimer or anyone going into the containment unit and the fact that there was this entire really creepy world that was populated by all the ghosts that the Ghostbusters had captured and stuck in there. And even though the unit is, it's the size of maybe a propane tank, that yeah. because of the way that the physics of it work, that it's this giant amorphous atmosphere mm. that all these creatures are able to live inside. Right. So what we see in the first act is we see the Ghostbusters struggling to find a way to monetize and capitalize on all this business that is coming to them because of their increased uh, popularity and notoriety yeah. and everything else like that because of the events of the first movie. Mm -hmm. And so you see the Ghostbusters trying to figure out like, how do we make money? How do we still stay in business? You know, how do we take this to our advantage considering the fact that if we go out with our proton packs, which we don't even have access to, the city is holding on to in the EPA, if we try to go out and fight ghosts with that equipment, that we would be arrested and imprisoned. You don't even get into Ray discussing like the impending doom that is following him. The Ghostbusters are kind of running around. Once they get to a point to where that doom does confront them, and they realize that there is an entity that they must face yeah. and overcome or else it's going to destroy their world, that's when we really kick into the second and third act. I'm definitely not quite on the same page with you, but let me pitch you this because I think this is a good idea and I think that we're basically talking about the same idea, we're just not quite the same wavelength about it. What I'm thinking is that the reason that Ray at first sells his soul is to fight a different demon than is the ultimate bad guy of this movie. And the ultimate bad guy of this movie is the demon that takes Ray's soul. And so Ray is able to actually win his soul back by the end of this move. And then the next one is the one where they die. We haven't pitched that yet to the audience, but that's our idea for the third one that we both really like is that all the Ghostbusters die and then they go into the afterlife because we know that the world of the Ghostbusters or the universe of the Ghostbusters has a rich afterlife. And so they're a part of that afterlife. They have to figure out how to navigate it and come back on the other side by the end of the third movie. But for the second one, they stop the demon thing in the first act, then they sell the, the diamond to the city, or they sell the jewel back to the city and it goes into a museum, and however that affects them, we haven't quite worked that out. You're pitching me a different movie than what we had discussed that I thought we'd <laughs> agree upon. Okay, it's kind of a comical fashion in the way that you see them trying to deal with people who are being haunted by ghosts, poltergeists, especially considering the fact that in the first movie, you see every single ghost that they had captured in their containment unit escape and you never see them go back and yeah. capture their ghost, all they do is they stop Gozer. So now there's all these ghosts that are let loose in the city right. and the Ghostbusters are essentially powerless to do anything about that's, it. That's how the artifact plays into it. That's what I was trying to say is that it could be a containment unit. No, the artifact is your MacGuffin that comes into play in the third act in order to overcome the final villain of the movie. Well, I think we should pull it in in the first act. And I disagree. You said that you wanted to start off with him selling his soul. No. Before the you start off with the initial action being something coming to claim his soul. Years ago, before the first movie even happened, he made a deal that allowed him to acquire this artifact and he didn't realize time, but he was selling his soul. Yeah. So now the entity that is claiming ownership over his soul has come to collect. 
Yeah. In order to bargain to give himself a little bit more time, he ends up inadvertently offering up the souls of his teammates along with his own in order to be able to have a little bit more time to figure this all out. You have this time limit that is running out by the end of the movie mm -hmm. that this entity is going to take Ray and then the rest of the Ghostbusters souls because of the foolishness of Ray's stance. Let me jump in because this definitely feels familiar to me. I feel like I've had this argument with different people before. But whenever you have like a sell your soul to the devil plot, there's a certain like formula for it. It's called being a Faust story, being Faustian. Can we at least agree that Faustian stuff is what we should be thinking about here? No, because I think with Faust, that's something to where it was somebody that didn't really think about what they were giving up in order to get something that they thought they really, really wanted. With this, the comedy of it is more so that Ray doesn't realize what what he is giving up in order to get this sort of thing. The way that kind of plays out could be in the language that this entity uses, because obviously it wouldn't speak in English that people are speaking on the East Coast. So maybe that's part of what plays into the confusion of Ray. There was also something that you had happen in the original Ghostbusters. Like there were moments of comedy, like especially that whole point about if someone asks if you're a god, you say yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the Ghostbusters, they're tied up in all this bureaucratic red tape and yeah. they're trying to negotiate their way out of it. They're trying to find a way that, that will allow them to continue to exist as a business, to capitalize so on... What is, what is that way that they're looking for? Because I, I have an answer to that, and that's what I'm trying to offer up. Let me get to what I'm saying, because it might be the same thing that you're thinking, because I already told you about this. It's definitely but, the same. But what they have to do is they realize that they're about to lose the building that they're in, and one of the things that they have to work out with the city is they have to offer something up in order to get the city to sort of subsidize their rents and allow them to stay there while they still negotiate their ability to use their proton packs, their containment unit, their ghost traps, things okay, that put well, people in danger. Um, so one of the things that they end up doing, hold on. Yeah. One of the things that they end up doing is the other members of the Ghostbusters team realize that they have this strange looking antique artifact. Mm -hmm. And so they offer that to the city and they say, look, we will donate this to the city so that you can display it in the museum because obviously it has some value to it. If you can work out a deal to where we don't lose the lease on our building that we're in. Well, this is the same exact idea, but it would just be more like the EPA guy scene from the first movie. But what if the government comes in and says, we're taking this stuff. We're taking this artifact because you're in our building, because we're kicking you out, however the law works. We're taking this artifact. And you could have the Ghostbusters trying to argue with them like, no, what are you going to do with this thing? You can't move this. And what they do is they take it, they put it into a museum. And then later on in the story, the Ghostbusters have to go break into the museum and like steal it. We're kind of thinking the same thing, but I'm trying to get you to think a little bit smarter because one of the few sequences that works in in the original Ghostbusters 2 is the courtroom scene, which you said that you like, yeah. where there is this situation to where the judge just sentenced them to Rikers Island. And then he brings out the Scolari brothers. Yeah. And that's when he turns to the Ghostbusters and he's like, oh, you guys are the only ones who can save me in this situation. <laughs> yeah. And then I know why Rick Moranis is their attorney, but it doesn't yeah. really make any sense if you think about it. No, because he was a, an attorney in the last movie. He very smartly negotiates the Ghostbusters. He gets immunity for them to be able to operate. Lawyers can be accountants, though. And maybe there's some chance that he was a lawyer in the first That's one of the things that is not so great about the original version of Ghostbusters 2 is the fact that you said this yourself that they shoehorned in Rick Moranis's character and Sigourney Weaver's character into roles that were meant to be played by different actors. Well for the second one. Absolutely. Yeah I think that it was different characters originally. And but of course could be. producers of the studio or whatever they're like well you gotta find a way to bring back Sigourney Weaver and Rick Moranis into this movie. The Ghostbusters they offer up this artifact to the city, they display it in the museum, so that way 
they can live in their building rent-free for an undisclosed period of time. Basically, like, that kind of helps them out. They're basically surviving on making, like, public appearances so and different things like that. So they are auctioning the same, like, artifact that I'm talking about that they got in the first act that Ray sold his soul for. Yeah, but the thing is, you don't see Ray in the first act, you don't see Ray going out and selling his soul for this artifact. So then in the second act of the movie, you have a courtroom scene where you have the Ghostbusters going in, and they're basically, they're, they're trying to argue their way around this whole thing what ends up happening is this entity that is chasing after ray it ends up possessing the prosecutor that is working for the city to try and get the ghostbusters to work out all the damages so you have the scene where again you don't see the entity but you see the terrified expression of the person who's encountering it that leads to this scene where the ghostbusters are actually called in by the family of the prosecutor because the prosecutor goes home and starts behaving oddly and who are you going to call you're going to call the ghostbusters so the ghostbusters have to come in and deal with it and then that that's when they're all confronted together by this entity that is hunting down Ray. And that's when he is forced to explain to everybody else on the team exactly that he's gotten them all into. So then they have to go back and escape and try and come up with a plan in order to battle this whole thing. That's when Ray discovers that they've given the artifact to the city that he doesn't have in his possession, but that the thing that he needs to try and defeat this entity. But that then leads to is this entity starts possessing every single person that it comes into contact with mm -hmm. you know and the only reason that it's not able to possess the ghostbusters is because ray and his panic convinced the rest of the team to wear some sort of bracelet that prevents this entity from possessing their bodies yeah as it just starts to possess all the millions and millions of residents of new york city yeah. the ghostbusters realize like what they're up against Everything is essentially collapsed. The Ghostbusters are able to get their hands back on their equipment. They decide to try and figure out how they're going to fight this thing to save themselves and Ray and the citizens of New York City. Yeah. And so they end up having this showdown that takes them to the museum where the artifact is being kept. You get the Ghostbusters going into the museum, completely surrounded by all these possessed New Yorkers. Well, can we pause for one second so I can ask some questions? Hold on, let me get to where I'm going. Yeah. They're able to lock themselves into the safe haven of the museum yeah. and try and formulate a plan. And then that's the scene where I was talking about you have a scene between Peter Venkman and Dana Barrett. Dana Barrett is one of the possessed people. Mm -hmm. You have Peter Venkman trying to negotiate with the entity and they realize what they have to do in order to defeat this thing, they have to convince it to leave all of the bodies of the New Yorkers that it's possessed so that way it can claim the Ghostbusters. Yeah. But at the same time, they're smart. They're figuring out a plan in order to counterattack this thing and take it down. All right. We agree, though, that Ray sold his soul to gain this artifact. Ray sold his soul, but at the time he sold his soul, he did not realize that's what he was doing. Okay. Are you giving the reason that he wanted to obtain this as for no reason at all? Or is there a reason why he wanted to obtain this artifact? No, there's a reason why he wanted to obtain this artifact, and that's definitely something to where we gotta flesh that out a little bit more. Think about the things that you collected when you were, you know, about 20 to 25 years old. Yeah, yeah, but... That, you know, 10 or so years later, you're like, why did I even want this in the first place? And that's sort of one of those things. Well, but what if instead of that, he just got it so that he could stop this other bad guy? So it had, that way it has a purpose. We could put an action set piece behind it. Now that they have it, they have it. And then whatever else happens with it. And you can throw in the fact that there's some demon god stuck in there as, a, as an add-on for something else or for some other issue. 
And that way, the whole idea of him selling his soul will kind of exit your mind for a little bit because you just think like, oh, well, he was just trying to stop this other bad guy. That's why he got that. I'm but, not following you at all. So there's some demon attacking the city. And in order to stop it, because they don't have their equipment, the only thing they can think of is to go acquire this thing that can act as a containment. You already had that. That was the first movie. The first movie was you had Gozer attacking the city. They didn't need an amulet or anything like that. What they did is they crossed the streams. Yeah. Yeah. This is you, you, already, you already had that. You're, you're trying to recreate the first movie again no, with this. No, 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 I am not. Because yes, you are. I'm telling a Faustian story where he sells his soul, and the way that Faust stories are supposed to end is that you sell your soul to the devil, but then you trick the devil and you get your soul back, and he loses. And that's the story that I'm trying to tell. No, what I'm one. telling you is that we do a comedic twist on it to where Ray does sell his soul to the devil, but he doesn't realize he's selling his soul to the devil at the time. Yeah. Then, in order to get out of that, he ends up inadvertently selling the soul of the Ghostbusters to this entity, and then that's when all the Ghostbusters have to come together and figure out a way to get out of it. You have this whole showdown. Basically, all of New York has been consumed by this entity, and this entity threatens that what it's going to do is continue to consume every single soul that it comes in contact with until there is no free soul left on Earth except for the Ghostbusters. And then at that point, they will have no choice but to give themselves up to it. Yeah. So they've got their backs against a wall. And they're doing their last stand inside this museum where the artifact is being held. Yeah. And that's when they all start to realize the power of this artifact and what this artifact is able to do. What they do is convince the entity to leave the bodies of all the New Yorkers to come inside the museum to where they can try and ambush it. Whenever they try to use their proton packs, it doesn't work on it. I, well, so, the thing is, I like all those ideas. I'm just trying to tweak them to where I like them a little bit better, but they're still all the same ideas. I'm not talking about redoing the whole movie. I'm talking about like what they did for the birthday scene in number two, where they go to a party. Like That much time is dedicated to them stopping this demon with this amulet. That is, it's just a little tiny scene. It's not, it's not the whole movie. See, what you're, what you're missing is the fact that what they do in the first movie puts them in a world of trouble. So they're not able to do the things that, they're, that they would normally do because now the city is onto them. The EPA is onto them. Yes. All these bureaucratic government regulatory bodies are onto them. They've seized their equipment. They're not able to operate the way that they would operate. But this like, That's be... the thing you're not getting. I get they're, it. They're, I get they're, it. Their hands are tied. But we could what put I'm the nail you, in you the have coffin to... to that idea. We could illustrate that perfectly by saying they get this amulet. And this is their last vestige of how they can stop a ghost. And once they do this, since their containment unit has been taken away, since their proton packs have been taken away, now the city sees them do this and they come down on them extra hard as soon as that scene is over. And they're like, you guys cannot be doing this. We took away this from you. We took away this. You're still out here trying to stop ghosts. You're still trying to do this. Why wouldn't they just throw them in jail at that point? And then you don't have a movie because they're in jail. Because it's just a financial thing. It's not a legal thing. No, why wouldn't they just throw them in jail? They're violating court orders. They're violating injunctions. And there would be all these legal implications. So what I'm saying is you get around those legal implications in the same way that they did in the original Ghostbusters 2 by sitting there saying like, okay, we have something that you want or need. Let's negotiate something out. So they give this up. Mm -hmm. you, what you have to do is you have to find a way to take this artifact from the possession. Yeah. You have to get it into the hands of somebody else. That They have to go back and collect it again. And what I'm saying is like this allows them to do that in a way that benefits them rather than throwing them in jail like what you're proposing. No, no. I don't put them in jail in my pit. But that's what would happen. You get to write it any way you want. I, I'm saying no. They that's the reality of what would happen. If they sit there no, and, and the city reality. has told them, look, you guys can't go out and bust ghosts. And they're like, okay, because you guys can't catch ghosts. 
And then what you have them do is they take this amulet, which they don't know how it works, and somehow they magically catch ghost with it. Yeah. And you don't think that would end up landing them in jail? I don't understand why you're screaming at me, first of all. And second of all, no, you can write it however you want to write it. Well, the way that I'm trying to write it is that they use this as a tool to help themselves out, and then they realize later that it holds their salvation, or at least they think. I definitely am not advocating that we put them in jail, so I don't know how I came off with that straw man. But I'm saying that's what would happen. You're trying to say, well, no, it wouldn't put them in jail. I'm saying, yeah, that's exactly what would happen. I mean, if you if say they, so. If there is an injunction. It's a universe preventing... you're creating, and you're forcing them to go to jail. Like, I can I can write a story where they never go to jail. Like, it's no problem. Like, all I do is not have that happen. Okay, Simple. and I'm telling you, your story would suck. <laughs> Okay, fine. Ghostbusters 2 already sucks the way that it is. This version would be any better. I lay out the story to you. I give you as many details as possible. You sit there and you're like, yeah, 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 I get that. I get that. I I am right along with you. I like it. It's good. And then once we hit record and we start talking about the idea, you're like, hey, let's do this thing that's not in your idea at all that completely contradicts so many things that you set up with your story. No, because I'm, I'm just pitching you certain things that you're throwing out by the wayside and my things set up other things that are all important. And they all coincide with what you're talking about. But then you add on to it how realistic the jailing sentences would be. And I was like, and I'm not a police officer, so I don't know what the charge for busting ghosts is. If, if, the, if the year separate. is 1985 and the penalty is statute of I don't know any of that stuff. All I know is that they can come and put them in financial ruin. They can bankrupt them. They can take everything forcibly from them. Then we can have a great scene where the Ghostbusters are trying to plead with them not to take this and not to take that because they don't know what they're doing with it. I wouldn't arrest them and send them to jail. No, but that's the thing that has already happened because of what happened in the first movie. Why can't they just be in financial ruin? Why do they have to be in jail? They're in dire financial straits because they're not able to go out and do what they did in the scene in the hotel where they go and they bust the ghost. They catch it and then they're like, oh yeah, this is going to cost you so many thousands of dollars. They're not able to do that. So anyway, they set up this whole scene where they go to the museum. They discover that this artifact is what's going to help them get out of this situation. They use it, but it has unforeseen consequences. But how do they beat the devil? Or do we have because any clue I'm, I'm trying to explain that. So what they do is they convince the entity to leave the bodies of all the people. And up to this point in the movie, we have not seen the appearance of this entity. We've seen how terrified people are whenever they encounter it. We, as the audience, have not seen this entity. We did not see this scene where he goes to the shop and and, he's, and he buys the no, thing. no, that because scene. that's something that he describes. It's oh, not God. something that we show. I like, thought it's going to end up looking like in Gremlins when he goes to the shop. And yeah, he, it'll, he gets it'll look like Gizmo. Gremlins. Yeah, but so that anyway. was a great scene. So I don't know why you're insulting it. Plus, you said it was a cold open. Last I heard, you said that. Yeah, the that cold was a- open is the entity coming and confronting Ray to try and collect payment on the fact that he owes his soul to that entity. The shopkeeper or whoever he negotiates the deal from is not the entity itself. It's an agent working for the entity, working under the control of the entity. This is something that that Ray explains to the rest of the team. Well, let me explain something to you because I think that there's a confusion about how selling your soul to the devil plots work. You die, when, once you die, that's when your soul goes. They don't come to collect it early, like, knock, 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 I'm here early. Like, that is not how it works. We have to throw that whole idea out. And so any aspect of that, it doesn't make sense with selling your soul to an evil entity story. But we don't add that element. We're talking about a fucking Ghostbusters story. We're not talking about fucking Faust. But they don't We're not recreating Faust starring the Ghostbusters. No, Here's a bunch I of like crazy all, ideas no, that don't work together. I like all that stuff. 
I'm just trying to say that the way that you saw You like all that stuff, just you hate it as for the story. No, no, no. I like it for the story. We're talking about the same idea. I'm just saying that the way you resolve a sell your soul to the devil story is not in a... It's the terms of the contract. And the terms of the contract... Are what? Are that after a certain period of time, let's say it's 10 years. Let's just make it a no. nice, even number. It's... Please, no. Please, no. That is not You got how... a better idea? Yes. Please, no, on uh, that. Okay, so your soul is like equity that you have and what you're doing is releasing that equity to this entity and they are in turn giving you this physical possession and they say you can possess this physical thing for as long as you live this is now yours you have bought it from me you have sold me something and the thing you have sold is your soul and when you die your soul is a prisoner of however that person wants to it's not a after this many years it's not a come says knocking who? it's just after you says die. who that's the way that those stories work according to Faust, which is what I like. And We're not Faust. That's what I like. That's what I want to follow. Oh the Faust. Why can't we do Well, then you should story? have come up with your own pitch. You should have sat there and read my pitch and said, yeah, your pitch works. That's great. I but like it's the it. Same and then idea. go with that. It's, it's the same idea, Manny. We, no. We're talking about, we're saying the same You're thing. trying to change it in a way that doesn't work for the way that I pitched it. And the thing is, you have to have a time limit. You have to have an expiration. You have to have a point where the terms come up. Ray has to sit there and give his soul over. That this being has come to collect. Because that's the whole thing. What you do is you set in motion events that are precipitated on the fact that there is a deadline. Things are happening and now you have to do things to counteract these actions that have been set in motion. Well, a simple workaround would be that this demon comes and wants to destroy the whole world. And once the whole world has been destroyed, then obviously he will be dead and then his soul will belong to this guy. That's How one. is that any different than... The entity telling them that he's going to continue to possess every single person on Earth so that the world will no longer exist and the Ghostbusters will have no choice but to give themselves up. He's ransoming their souls for the souls of the rest of the world. And that's what we're setting up. Like What we've talked about before is the plot of Ghostbusters 2 has to be the Ghostbusters die. The Ghostbusters sacrifice themselves so that the rest of the world can live. He could, he That's could. the plot of this. And yeah. then the plot of Ghostbusters 3 is the Ghostbusters come back from the dead. Yeah, I'm agreeing to all that. Right, we're just talking about the way that the term sort of But what you're out. saying is like the only way this can work is if we kill Ray. And I'm saying if we kill Ray, that's a major problem. You have to have all four Ghostbusters no, no, together. Ray does not die in my version. Because that's I... what you've, you've been trying to sell me on. No, he doesn't die. I mean, he can die at the end, whatever. That has nothing to do they with They all anything. die at the end. Yes, that's fine. I mean, this was your idea. They, your <laughs> idea originally was all the Ghostbusters die. Now, maybe you were in a state of mind to where you cannot remember saying that. No, I remember. But that, that was the thing that you pitched to me. Yeah, no, they you can said all, all die. the Ghostbusters die at the end of Ghostbusters 2. And then in Ghostbusters 3, it's about the Ghostbusters coming back from the dead. But I'm not saying that Ray has to die in order to negotiate his deal with this demon person. All I'm saying is that... That's the way that selling your soul to the devil has to work. It has to be when you die, your soul goes, but you have maybe... This entity is going to kill Ray to take his soul. Yeah, that's fine. And that It is gives fine. him 10 years. He has 10 years with this artifact, and then it's going to come and take his soul. You play it to where when they ask Ray, they're like, Ray, why did you agree to this? And he goes, because when I originally negotiated, I thought I was getting this artifact for 10 years, and then at the end of that, I had to give it back. I didn't realize I had to give up my soul for this artifact. The idea of, like, I'm going to sell you your soul but you only get to live for 10 more years like it's it's too raw of a deal and i understand that that he did it accidentally it's just too raw Wait, you're trying to constrain this story idea based around another story idea by a different author 
No, I mean, Faust is a classic story that tons of people have used. Like, Devil's Advocate is Faust. Like, tons of people will do that. This isn't Devil's Advocate. This is Ghostbusters. What we're doing here is we're taking something that seems like it would fit perfectly into the Ghostbusters universe, which is someone makes a deal and they negotiate their soul. Yeah. Then that entity comes to collect, yeah. and then the Ghostbusters have to stop that entity. But all we have to do is change the, the way that you're defining collect and the way that I'm defining collect and make them to where they're one cohesive thing. That's all we have to do. It's the same idea. We're talking about the same idea here. Well, what do you think is going to happen when that entity collects Ray's soul? Well, what if instead of saying specifically, I've come for you, like, like what you're saying, he comes for all of New York. And then he also has had this other deal with Ray, and that plays into it. He's like, I know this demon. You know, I sold my soul to him. It's like, you sold your soul to this demon? And, it, and it's something almost besides the point, maybe. I mean, what you're doing is you're, you're doing... There's the version of the story that I pitched, which is essentially that. Yeah. But you're saying, like, well, let's instead of doing what you talked about doing, doing what you talked about doing. I know. It's all the same idea. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's why you shouldn't But I'm saying, upset. like, you're pitching a lesser version of the idea that I already pitched to you. I just don't want a version where there's a 10-year time limit or any time limit because that I can't sign off on that. That's just too... It's a raw deal. It's not how it deals with the devil stuff work. There's a certain way that certain movies This isn't work. deals with the devil stuff. This is freaking Ghostbuster. This is Ray Stins going into the world of the paranormal and mucking around and not realizing the level of seriousness that he's dealing with. And then he gets himself in over his head. Yeah. He draws the entirety of New York City and threatens the entirety of the world's population because of a deal that he made. So what they have to do is in order to unravel this entire mess, they have to find a way to defeat this entity. Yeah. In the process of doing that, it consumes them along with it. And I like that part. And I like all of what you're pitching. I'm just trying to, to put in my little tweet. I'm gonna give you guys the conclusion to Ghostbusters 2, Ghostbusters Die. So they realize <laughs> the artifact has the ability to trap this entity. Yeah. The way that it works is this artifact operates as sort of a key into the dimension that this entity comes from. They activate it, they throw it into one of their Ghostbuster traps in order to suck the entity into it, yeah. but they don't realize how strong of a vortex it'll create. So it does suck the entity, but the entity is able to latch on to each of the Ghostbusters and suck them in with it. You get the citizens of New York rushing into the museum after all of this is concluded and discovering the empty uniforms of the Ghostbusters. Because yeah. now they're all dead. They've all been sucked into the dimensional afterlife that this entity resides in. Yeah, I mean, I essentially like that. I mean, I would still tweak it a little bit for my personal taste, but... Okay, well, go ahead and throw out your tweaks. Alright, so we do agree that the artifact captures souls. So I'm definitely still stuck on this other idea that I had from before, where they get the artifact early on in the movie as a way to deal with the fact that the government is taking away their equipment so they have less means to actually fight these ghosts. And so they have to resort to getting this crystalline artifact thing that can somehow hold souls in it. I'm not thinking of it as a key to another dimension, I'm just thinking of it as a way, as a place where you can store Again, something. going back to something that's going to land all the Ghostbusters in jail. See, what I'm we're saying both is, hitting the same no, kind of No, what I'm saying wall. is you have a much more 
hilarious situation if the Ghostbusters have all of their equipment taken away, so they have to figure out to try and operate their business without having the benefit of all of the equipment that they invented. That's what I'm trying to do. No, but what you're saying is that they suddenly like use this artifact magically. What I'm saying is they underestimate the value of this artifact. Mm. That it becomes kind of just this throwaway sort of thing to where they're like, look, we have this thing. It looks like it's pretty valuable. We have no idea what it does, but you guys can take it if you negotiate so that we can stay in our building and not get kicked out. And instead, you have these series of hilarious scenes where they're trying to fight against Ghost without any of their equipment. Yeah, that's what I'm pitching too. No, you're pitching that they use this artifact to magically capture Ghost. That's not the way that it works. No, I'm saying the that... The artifact is a key that opens up the dimension that this entity is from. Ghostbusters doesn't do alternate dimensions. They do like an afterlife. Oh my god. What are you? What, what was the whole thing about Gozer at the end of, of the first Ghostbusters? That was another dimension. It didn't rub me as a different oh dimension. Oh my god. You don't even... Oh. <laughs> What? You don't even know, like, the details of the source material that this all springs from. I watched the Ghostbusters 2 last night. Yeah, in Ghostbusters 1, Gozer comes from another dimension to destroy New York City. It's the same as, like, Gozer the Destroyer. <laughs> it doesn't say Gozer from another dimension. Okay, so talk about a Faust story again. Okay, so I'm not claiming to be an expert on Faust, but my understanding of the way that a Faust story should work and the way that I would like this story to work, and if it isn't, I understand I'm not being a hard ass about it. In a Faust story, the lead character sells their soul to a devil. The Christian devil. Sure. Just to be clear. I'm not saying that we keep every single aspect of that in this story. They sell their soul to the devil, and then at some point, towards the end of the story, they figure out a way to trick the devil to where they can get their soul back. Somehow the deal that the devil makes gets broken and then the deal is off. The contract is off. The idea of you signing your name to a contract and then that contract being like null and void. Yeah, I understand how it works. And they use that to get you Some know, something that they really possession. desire from the devil. Yeah. And they realize that the devil has arranged things in a way to where they can't fully appreciate the thing it is that they wanted and that they end up overcoming by tricking the devil. What I'm pitching here is not that far off. Yeah. What they have to do is they agree that they're going to give the souls of every member of the Ghostbusters to this entity who yeah. is not the devil, who is not a Christian mythology entity. Good, 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 good. It's an extra dimensional creature. They agree that they will give their souls if that entity releases every single person that it is holding. It does that. And they realize that that has to happen because the only way that they can really combat this entity is to get it out of those bodies and to get it into its hideous form. Once it's revealed to us, it's horrifying. It's this... Ah! Yeah, it's this It's this crazy... The Scolari Brothers! It's, it's not like the Scolari Brothers. It's a little closer to like <laughs> when they see that first head on a pike in the subway tunnel. It's something a little bit more like that. Like, it's terrifying. And they're thinking that they've got a trick up their sleeve to where they're going to blast it with their ghost-busting equipment once it sets foot inside the museum. Yeah. But they realize they are outgunned, that their equipment is no match for the power of this being. Right. So then what they have to do is they have to turn to this artifact. Yeah. They have to figure out how to activate this artifact. Yes. Egon and Ray both discovered that this artifact, it essentially operates as a key into the dimension that is the home of this entity. Yeah. So they're able to activate it, which opens up the dimension. Then they toss that artifact, the key, which is now a doorway, yes. into their trap. So that trap is now sucking the entity in with it. Yes. But what the entity does in its final blow is it 
grabs onto each one of the Ghostbusters and sucks the Ghostbusters in with it. Yeah, and I like... So they've tricked the entity. Yeah. They've done the whole kind of Faustian thing of, you want our souls, come get them. But in a little twist that sets us up for the third movie, this entity takes all of them with it. Yeah, I've more or less, essentially, I totally like all that stuff. I would just like to come up with a slightly more clever trick, but even if that's the one that we went with, like that would be okay. Like, But that's the fun part to me to writing a foul story, is like figuring out that interesting way that you get out of the deal. Maybe they make a new deal with the devil, which so sort of sounds like what you're proposing, which is not bad at all. Like That's something for me to kind of grab. Is there any addendums, any changes that you want to make? Well, one thing I want to think about for sure, none of this is locked in stone. We're just talking movie ideas. You can't make this movie, so we could rehash this whole thing a week from now and come up with a totally different plot if we wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's what we were talking about. Much to your chagrin, we are talking about the same idea. It has all the same elements. He sells his soul. There's an amulet. The amulet gets taken from them. Take to the museum. They break back in. They beat the thing. Like, it's the same idea. We're just nitpicking over, like, the little tiny details. That's what Manny is trying to say in his overly angry way. It's not anger. It's frustration. You go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That idea is great. That works. And then once we hit the record button, you're just like, uh, let me tell you why your idea doesn't work and it stinks. No. We can rewind it and we'll see if that actually ever happened. But one addendum that I would like to think about, and I mentioned this to you yesterday, and just see how it makes your blood boil today. What about the idea that like Vankman or Zetamore die early on in the movie, and then their ghost comes back and is sort of haunting the rest of them, or they're having some kind of B-plot, and then by the end of the movie, they come back to life just to die again. At the and end. I'll tell you why that doesn't work. Two issues that you're going to have. Number one is that people want to see all four of the Ghostbusters together, operating as a team for the majority of the movie. And the plot that I pitched, they do. Yeah. Now, I don't hate the idea of them coming back as ghost. I think that's a great idea because it's a great twist on the concept of Ghostbusters is that the Ghostbusters themselves become ghosts and they start haunting the living trying to figure out a way that they can come back into the physical world. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is let's make it happen in Ghostbusters 3. The Ghostbusters come back from the dead. Mm -hmm. What if it's not a Ghostbuster? What if it's like the lawyer guy? What's his name? Rick Moranis? Yeah. And he's like a Slimer character. I'm okay. just going to say no. Okay. Well it's just a comedic idea that Manny is saying no to the comedy. <laughs> no to the laughs. No thanks to the special effects. So that's Manny saying no. What I'm saying is that's what the plot of Ghostbusters 3 is. That was your idea was that in <laughs> Ghostbusters 3 the Ghostbusters are dead they've got to come back from the dead. Yeah, yeah. And I really hope that the concept of the Ghostbusters being dead and coming back from the dead is getting people salivating because that is going to be a future episode. You can hear Matt and I fight some more about an idea that... We have the same idea. This is the same idea, man. It's just hard because each of us get hung up on little things that aren't as important as all that. Like the whole aspect of them like going to jail. Because that was the thing that happened in the original Ghostbusters 2. And they actually were sentenced to Rikers. And the only reason that they don't end up going to Rikers is because the judge unwittingly releases the Scolari brothers. No, that's not true. The reason no, they... that's exactly what no, happens. No, that's not what happens. The reason they don't go to jail is because Ghostbusters don't have a movie in jail. So they're never going to go to jail. Peter Venkman could walk up to somebody's throat, slit it in front of a police officer, in front of the mayor. It could be the mayor. And they still won't go to jail. Okay, you write that movie and you see who wants to buy that they movie. They still won't go to jail. Because the Ghostbusters aren't going to go to jail. Like, it doesn't matter what they do in the movie, they don't go to jail for those actions. Now, if it's a jail movie, no matter what they do at the beginning, they'll go to jail. Crime. You keep them from going to jail by not having them commit blatant criminal acts. I don't think saving the city from a demon counts as a jail-worthy act. But that's something that happens at the end of the movie that's your act three showdown yeah like you're wanting them to like fight this demon in act two what do they do in act no, three there's two different demons oh my 
God. <laughs> they Jesus. get the amulet. Well, there could be two different demons. What I'm saying is you have to have your main villain be by far the biggest yes. threat Agreed. they face. Agreed. Okay? You're saying some of the similar things that I'm no, saying, which same. is they face they face the lesser same. foes, yes. but they're handicapped by the fact that they don't have any of their equipment. Right. So therefore, they're ineffectual against them, which you show in a comedic fashion. Yes, I agree. You show Ray trying to employ all these different yes, paranormal techniques. I am techniques agreeing with you. To try and capture yes, them. That's what you I'm have saying. Venkman trying to negotiate with them. You have Egon trying to come up with all these crazy traps that don't work because he's not able to use the equipment that actually would work. Winston doing whatever Winston does. I hope that we would find a very creative way to use a talented actor like Ernie Hudson, but whatever. Why don't we just spend the last couple of minutes just talking about some of the things that, that we didn't like about Ghostbusters 2. We're talking about Ghostbusters 2. So I just watched it uh, last night, like I was saying. Something that I noticed about it was that it tries to copy so many beats from Ghostbusters 1, and a lot of them it actually gets right for the most part, but it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. I'm not laughing at it. And it's like they're just missing the mark somehow. By being so on the mark, they're somehow off the mark thing. There's a certain lazy quality to the whole thing. It seems like the acting is lazy. It seems like the directing is lazy. I don't think that it's anything in the movie is lazy. There are so many people that were involved in the creative process of the first movie that were essentially forced to do a second movie. Perhaps they constrained themselves or perhaps the studio, the producers constrained them in a way that they were essentially like, just recreate everything that worked in the first movie and we'll replay it all in the second movie because audiences are dumb and they'll see that it says Ghostbusters 2 and they'll say hooray, we can watch another episode of the Ghostbusters right. and they won't care the fact that there's nothing original and fresh in the movie. Right. And that's the problem. And that's what I'm trying to talk about with this story. We have to come up with something that is a fresh version of events and adventures and threats and risks that these characters go through so that it's not repeating the same movie over again. Agreed. They take Lewis and Dana Barrett and they put them into new jobs that have nothing to do with their characters. I know, that was ridiculous. Yeah, and they do that in a way to just shoehorn them into this movie. Dana Barrett all of a sudden does restorations on paintings. Yeah, you said that she goes from one hoity-toity job to another hoity-toity job. <laughs> right. There's no reasoning for it. You realize watching it that they were like, look, you have to have Sigourney Weaver in the movie. You have to have Rick Moranis in the movie. Just find a role for them to play. It doesn't matter what it is. Right. And, they and sort so of, they go out and do that. They sort of turn Rick Moranis into like a lapdog of the Ghostbusters. Like his whole plot is to drool over Annie Potts and to want to become a Ghostbuster. And what's funny is a lot of that is due to the fact that the cartoon series was so popular. That's what they try to do here. Have these characters not only reprise their roles from the first movie, but to sort of reprise the roles that were created for them in the animated series. The Adventures of the Real Ghostbusters because what's funny is there was another cartoon series at the time called Ghostbusters. But it wasn't the same franchise as like the Ghostbusters. Absolutely not. It was two characters. One that was very much like the Ray Stantz character from the real Ghostbusters cartoon series. Oh, really? But they also had a gorilla that I don't think spoke. <laughs> I think it just made gorilla noises. And then they had some kind of car that had a ghost on it. And I think it actually, it was like a haunted car, or possessed car or something like that. When I was a kid and I'd put on TV and I'm like, oh, the Ghostbusters is coming on. And then it was the Ghostbusters and not the real Ghostbusters. And I would just get so mad that I wanted to break my TV because I hated it. <laughs> Whenever I see the uh, the real Ghostbusters, the, the good series, it always shocks me how what a well-produced, cool cartoon it really is. 
it's weird how it didn't like last like it, it's a the character design is awesome the voices are awesome the plots are cool it's the one of those things said they pretty successfully lampoon it at the beginning of ghostbusters 2 when ray and winston show up at the birthday party and they're playing their ghostbuster characters and then the kids all start chanting, He-Man, He-Man. It's doing a parody of the 80s marketing to kids, all these different fad products you had. He-Man, you had Ghostbusters, you had Ninja Turtles, you had Thundercats. What were some other ones? Uh, I'm having trouble paying attention to what you're saying. <laughs> Cat. I, was thinking, I was thinking about something totally different. No, there, was, there was Thundercats. I mean, for girls, you had Rainbow Bright, My Little Pony, so much stuff. Okay, to break down a couple of other things that I thought didn't work so well about the original Ghostbusters 2. Again, you have almost the exact same plot. There's something spooky and strange afoot. It all starts because Dana Barrett calls the Ghostbusters to come in and investigate. You reunite her and Peter Venkman. No sense at all. It's obvious that once he got what he wanted from her, he was pretty much done with her, which is why she moved on to somebody else. It doesn't make sense why she couldn't work out her marriage. You know, it's just a matter of convenience of like, oh, we had some problems. He moved off to London, and so I just decided to become a single mom. That does happen, but... Well, he really comes into the movie and starts playing the role of this guy trying to recapture the love of Dana Bear. Like, he's saying all the right things to her. He's taking her on dates. And there's even one part where he's taking her on a date, and the three Ghostbusters come up to him, and they're like, there's a river of slime running underneath the city. We gotta go stop the river of slime. And he's like, uh, honey, do you want to blow off this whole date and go to the sewer and she's like taxi you know she's like no thanks and he's like sorry guys and so they just go out to, to a nice dinner while the other three ghostbusters are digging in the river of slime it's later concluded by them coming to the restaurant that dana and bill murray are at confronting them there and that's actually a really funny scene bill murray's like guys you're scaring the streets do you want to take this outside it's so funny <laughs> Which is kind of a rare thing for that movie. There's so many missed opportunities for comedy. The editing, bit, too. Yeah, You, you editing, noticed a couple of moments that could have been better with editing, and so did I. The editing is so huge. What I'll challenge people to do is to go and watch the movie, and it's in, what, the first ten minutes of the movie? When Bill Murray's character first meets little baby Oscar. You have this whole scene. Essentially, what it seems like they did is they turned on the camera, they pointed it at Bill Murray, and they said, All right, Bill, go. Yeah, be funny and, with the baby. And it seems like they just kind of like took whatever he did in the first take, and they're like, Oh, that was genius. Perfect. Right. <laughs> it's called a lunch. Let's wrap. Let's go to bed. Yeah. Think about how much funnier this scene could have been if you just kind of get these couple of awkward seconds of like Bill Murray looking down at this baby in complete silence and the baby's looking at him and you have this whole awkwardness and then you cut back to the Ghostbusters investigating Oscar's room and then all of a sudden you hear Bill Murray yelling and all the Ghostbusters go rushing into the room and they realize all he's doing is playing with the baby. How that yeah. could have, that could have been a funny moment right there and instead you just have this weird awkward moment of this guy trying to talk to this baby who obviously can't understand anything he's saying and there's something so creepy and sexual about the relationship between Vigo and the Janus Janus like there's something sexual and gross and slimy and weird about it I almost feel like the character of Janus was sort of born out of Balky from Perfect Strangers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, obviously, they just need this creepy character to be a red herring at first and then to come back later and be pseudo-evil. Yeah. And it's just... And they're just like, oh, hey, let's have this whole thing where... Let's see, what's a funny ethnic stereotype? We can't do anything too racist. Ah, uh, you know what people won't get offended by? Let's make a goofy Eastern European character. I'm saying, can you talk a little from the accent? Well, he, it would make more sense if he was like a charming 
good-looking guy. He was dating Dana. And then there was this other weird thing that was happening. Dana goes to Bill Murray. She's like, could you come check out my boyfriend? He's kind of scaring me. Something like that even would have been smarter and better. Him being such a creepy, creepy creepster. And that's the frustrating thing. And that's the whole reason that we started doing this podcast in the first place is there are so many missed opportunities. And it's really frustrating. There's so much opportunity to create yet another great entry into this series and instead you have a really great original and then you have a very disappointing sequel yeah but even the sequel that we're sort of pitching which i think is one idea you know it could it could be shot lovelessly it could be directed poorly and it could turn out to be a bad movie what we're saying is filmmaking is really hard bill murray fights you tooth and nail the whole time like he supposedly did but what we're doing is fantasy movie making to where we just smooth over all of those constraints and we make the movie that we wish would have existed when they try to copy the exact same thing as last time they miss the opportunity to like take a wild left turn on their story like that's something i would love to do is create like a series of movies where every movie takes a wild left turn from the one right before it does more like what the evil dead franchise does where it just kind of goes into a different direction and that way it's something fresh for you to look at the evil dead well i just think that's a movie franchise that you and i really agree on essentially what we really like about evil dead 2 and then army of darkness is you take the same character and you take the same sort of adversary, but you move them into a new world. The way you said it was perfect. You take it from a horror comedy and you make it an action comedy. Yeah. And you keep some of those horror elements, but you put more emphasis on this action. And then not only that, you go from a setting in the modern times to switching it to now it's a medieval times, kind of dark ages sort of period piece. Yeah. I know I would never write something in medieval times because it's not like a time period that interests me at all but it's interesting to me that somebody else sees so much potential in there that i didn't see and like that's something that really opens my eyes to listening to what other people have to say i think that's about all the thoughts that i have for ghostbusters 2 i look forward to talking about ghostbusters 3 hopefully we'll be on the same page when we talk about that well we can recap our ghostbusters 2 idea because i really think that we are on the same page i think you're starting to see it and agree with me a little bit (laughs) okay (laughs) why don't we do this we'll do a real quick two minutes or less pitch i'll do my pitch you do your pitch if we need to address things that don't quite line up we'll do that so let me start and let me say that i don't have my whole pitch really figured out that's what i thought we were going to sort of try to do is, is figure out some of the little things that aren't working totally but let's i'm say- going to start giving you homework assignments okay <laughs> So go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that what I'm thinking is that there's some sort of Gozer-like demon, reminiscent of the first movie, at the beginning of it. And in order to fight it, Ray has to go, like what Manny was saying, like to a scene from like Gremlins where he goes to this old Asian shop somewhere. So wait, they're fighting this demon and then he's just like... Hey guys, I'll be right back. And then he goes to JFK, books himself a flight. Then he flies to Asia or Africa or Eastern Europe. Somewhere kind of mystical. Is that what you're saying? Perhaps. I mean, I I don't have it totally figured out. The Ghostbusters (laughs) are trying to do one thing in America and he's somewhere else trying to do something else. And maybe they're just sitting around doing nothing. He's like, guys, hold on, I'll be right back. (laughs) Six months later. Yeah. Well, there's definitely a problem with that. They're still on top of the building, you know, shooting their proton packs or whatever. And they're like, luckily, these things have a half-life of 5,000 years. (laughs) I definitely don't have my whole pitch together, so I I welcome you making fun of it, because that makes for a much more enjoyable (laughs) something to listen to. But yeah, so essentially, Ray is off buying some artifact that he has figured might stop some other evil force. And maybe it's not an impending thing. Maybe it's something that's really slow moving that he feels like he has plenty of time. I don't know. I don't have the whole thing figured out. But he goes to this little shop and he bargains for this artifact and he sells his soul to the guy selling the artifact. 
When he brings the artifact back, he uses that to stop the devil or demon by either entrapping it or opening a key to a different dimension, whatever. He sends the other bad guy away. And then the government comes to sort of shut down the Ghostbusters because they're operating without a license. So they take everything, including this rare looking gem thing or this crystal. I'm picturing it as something that's a little similar to the box from Hellraiser. Yeah. It's kind of this inoculus looking artifact. Oh, okay. It's very, very unassuming. It's not like some giant evil painting of you know, <laughs> some, some kind of tyrannical warlord from the Dark Ages. How exactly did Vigo the Carpathian's plan work out? He's going to take over the body of a baby, and then well, once he turns like. 18 is going to be this sort of hell-raising teenager. Dana Barrett is just going to raise possessed baby Oscar as her own. Well, there's no really good reason why he couldn't just jump into Janusz. Because Janusz is a 35-ish year old man. He's an adult already. He's got a vested interest in this. I mean, by shooting him with the eye laser beams, he gave Janusz certain powers. I mean, (laughs) certainly, like, didn't he turn Janusz into the apparitional Mary Poppins who steals Oscar away? And can jump in and out of paintings. Why didn't you just possess Janus? Like, Janus wants to be possessed. Janus is like, hey, my possess life me. sucks. Uh, Please possess me. I can't get laid to save my life. Uh, maybe if I was more kind of possessed by evil, tyrannical, dark ages warlord, I could get the pussy. You know? like, the plan is just stupid. This is the plan that the writers of the movie came up with. We wanted more, we expected more, we hoped for more, and we never gotten it. Well, I think a cool, like, selling your soul plot could definitely be such a left turn on the franchise that it, it, it could make it really cool. And I think we just have to iron out the specifics of how the soul gets sold to the devil, but I think it is essentially the same idea. Let me just roll my whole plot out for you. Yeah, give me, like, the two-minute version. An entity comes to Ray and confronts him because he owes his soul to this entity. Yeah. So Ray bargains for more time, but in doing so, he essentially offers up the souls of the other Ghostbusters. They still have the business, but at this point, they're facing bankruptcy because they are barred from using their equipment. They're still trying to go out and fight ghosts because there's an unprecedented demand, but they don't have their proton packs, their containment unit, their traps, so they've got to try and figure out an alternative way to fight ghosts. At the same time, they're trying to work with the city to make sure that they don't go under, so that's how they end up offering up this artifact to the city, and Ray is not part of this negotiation. He's had this artifact for so long that they just kind of discover it while looking for something valuable to auction off yeah. in order to keep themselves from going under. Well, then they realize they have this. It's something that the city could display in a museum. We'll give you this, but what you've got to do is you have to keep us from going bankrupt. Pay our rent, whatever, subsidize. In the meantime, Ray is able to do something to keep it from being able to possess all of the Ghostbusters. So what it starts doing is it starts possessing all the people around the Ghostbusters. And eventually it <laughs> ends up possessing the entire population of New York City. It's kind of like Fallen. Have you ever seen that movie? I don't think I have. But if you watch Phantoms, you'll see kind of what I'm talking about. When I talk about like a real creepy scene with all these people that are possessed by this entity. Oh, okay. And That's Phantoms? Yeah, Phantoms with Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck, Stop. you were the bomb in Phantoms, Phantoms, yo! Yeah, I remember that. So now you have the Ghostbusters, when they first, as a team, encounter this entity, yeah. they realize that they're up against something, and that's when Ray is forced to explain to them exactly what's going on. Yeah. They all get mad at him, and especially Venkman. It's always funny to watch Venkman get frustrated with Ray. Yeah. Because he seems kind of like he's bumbling and everything like that, 
but at the same time, he's well-meaning. So then the Ghostbusters are just like, oh, shoot, what are we going to do? Like, how do we fix this That's situation? That's why he's the one to sell his soul, for sure. Just yeah. like in Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Exactly. He exactly. sort of sold his soul with that whole... He's the one that does it. At that point, like, Winston points out to them, and they're like, look, if this entity has started possessing every single person in New York... Maybe that means that we can get in and we can get our ghostbusting equipment. That way we can use it to try and fight this entity. Yeah. Because, of course, they don't want their souls to be consumed by this entity. That's when you end up getting them falling back to the museum where this artifact is held. That's when Ray realizes that this artifact has the power to stop this entity. They are completely surrounded by all the possessed bodies of the citizens of New York City. Yeah. The team realizes that the only way they can fight this entity is to convince it to materialize in its form. So that way they can try and use their equipment on it. Venkman goes out to try and negotiate with it and he ends up talking to a possessed Dana Barrett. Yeah. And he tells the entity that the Ghostbusters are now ready to give themselves to the entity, but he needs to let go of all of the citizens that he's holding captive. Yeah. And that's when we see the horrific form of this entity. It chases them into the museum. They try to ambush it with all of their equipment, which they find is completely ineffectual against it. Yeah. So then that's when they try to activate this artifact. It is a key to open up the door to the dimension that this entity is from. They open up the door, they throw that into one of their traps, it sucks the entity into it, but the entity grabs all of them and sucks them in with it, and yeah. that is the end of the movie. Something else that I think we should consider adding in, but the idea that Venkman is kind of playing this role of keeping the city out of their business by keeping them in these like paper trails and loops. So they, they come in with one stack of paperwork, he signs it and says this, that, and the other, and then hands it off, he's making phone calls, like just to keep everybody confused long enough to keep them from actually taking everything that the Ghostbusters have. Yeah, but what I'm saying is they've already taken everything that the Ghostbusters have. Well, like, that's the thing. That's, that's the obstacle that you have to set up for the Ghostbusters is they don't have any of their equipment. They can't sit there and do the things that they do in the first movie because they don't have those tools. Their business is about to go under. People are starting to realize the Ghostbusters can't fight ghosts anymore. And they're not at the Ghostbusters headquarters or somewhere else? No, they're at the Ghostbusters headquarters. Like, that's the thing I'm saying. That's how the artifact gets into the hand of the city. And you were saying that's like in the second act? I mean, yeah, like so the first act before is, that is The first act is following them around and seeing like how they've been rendered impotent by the yeah. regulations. Except but at the same time, you also have other funny like... scenes where you see them trying to convince people that they were effective, going in and busting their ghost. Yeah. You have all this comedy to where Peter is like, hey man, we busted your ghost. People are like, really? That's it? You got him? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's going to be like $600. And then all of a sudden the ghost comes through and slimes them. He's like, you know what? We'll clean it up and uh, no charge. Yeah, sounds good. I mean, I think we got a potential sequel on our hands. I'm looking forward to pitching Ghostbusters 3, Ghostbusters Come Back From Hell. Thanks for listening to Sequelitis. Thank you.